Another edition of Jamal About Sports coming to you on a Monday night, November 5th, 2018. Kicking off the show, a little Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five with freedom. We got a big show to get to tonight. We've got NFL Week 8 in the books. We've got college football. Talk a little bit about the Mets and potential free agent targets. And we'll also finish up the show with a little NBA, specifically the Knicks. But we begin with college football. And uh, I figured I'd start the show off with a, a, an upbeat, catchy tune because uh, the first segment on the show is going to be anything but. Um, so it's been essentially a week, a little bit less, since my alma mater, the University of Maryland, um, exhibited... As poor leadership as could possibly be exhibited. So for those who may not know, I'm sure everybody does. If you're a sports fan, you're listening to the show. But uh, if you don't, um, a 19-year-old offensive lineman by the name of Jordan McNair uh, died uh, in June during summer practice. Uh, And then in August, uh, ESPN um, issued a, a report a uh, story that uh, essentially said that there was a toxic culture uh, at the University of Maryland football team uh, led by Rick Court, the strength and conditioning coach, who was then head coach D.J. Durkin's right-hand man, his number one hire, um, and that Durkin himself, um, if not was, if, if he wasn't, uh, if he didn't partake in uh, basically Neanderthal behavior, uh, certainly endorsed it, and there were reports of court throwing weights at players, fat shaming players, um, uh, you know, berating players in, in a way that that look. I, I understand uh, that's that's how coaching used to be. Uh, some to a certain extent. I mean, look, I got I got coached hard, if you will, uh, when I played football in the eighties, um, but you know. There's hard and there's fair, and then there's just flat-out ridiculous when you make everything personal and you demean and you belittle. And that's what this record does uh, or did, and apparently with Durkin's blessing. And so the university then launched an investigation, two different investigations. For some reason, somehow, and listen, if you want to defend the length of time that it took for the uh, findings to come out, uh, and as and say that they were being thorough, then okay, that's fine. But so the findings were finally released and issued and shared with the media and the public by the Maryland Board of Regents. Um, and essentially, what happened was, uh, so Dur- sorry, Durkin was put on uh, administrative paid leave. The head coach put on administrative paid lead. The strength and conditioning coach was resigned, I believe, or was fired. I, I forget which one. I believe he was allowed to resign and still somehow get paid. 
Um, and a 19-year-old kid is dead, by the way, okay? Gentle giant of a kid, you know, 300 pounds. You see pictures of him, just a beautiful face and a smile. All his teammates said, again, just a sweetheart of a kid, a gentle giant. And I, 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 and I can guarantee you that this Neanderthal, Rick Court, wasn't having that, right? We need animals. We need beasts. We need mean guys. And this kid probably is just a nice, sweet kid. Probably didn't have the temperament that DJ Durkin and his minions wanted. And so we're going to toughen him up. And we're going to run him till he dies, which is what happened. And so, after lots of investigations and reports and all kinds and deliberations, after de- <laughs> last week the Board of Regents, in their infinite wisdom, thought it wise to bring DJ Durkin back into the fold as the head coach. And so then apparently President of the University, Wallace Lowe, wanted to fire him. Apparently he's the only person who could fire him because the Board of Regents are not allowed to make hiring or firing decisions. Only the president can do that. And so when Lowe issued his recommendation to the Board of Regents, they told him, well, then you're fired. And so then rather than stick to his guns initially, he caved and then said he would be resigning in June. So for six more months of salary, Dr. Lowe, you couldn't stick to the courage of your convictions? And then rightfully so, on Wednesday, when Durkin tried to conduct a meeting, a bunch of players walked out right away, including several starters. Then apparently there was a fight in practice between one punter and another punter because one punter was pro-Durkin, this clown 30-year-old Australian idiot, Wade Lees. Again, how is a 30-year-old punting? In college, by the way, Maryland's not the only team that does this. This has now become sort of uh, a thing in college football. I've seen several other teams have guys from Australia that I guess obviously are academically eligible and therefore able to play because I guess they didn't go to university back in Olds. They didn't go to their university. So anyway, apparently this Wade Lees punched the backup punter in the face because he was thought to be one of the whistleblowers on Durkin. And Wade Lees, I guess, because Durkin brought him there, was a Durkin supporter. There are differing accounts, to be fair. But, I mean, the backup punter had a, a black eye and his arm in a sling. That's not in dispute. And so... Students had organized a protest for Thursday. The governor of Maryland spoke, uh, came out against the decision to bring Durkin back. Several players did. The father of Jordan McNair said he felt like somebody punched him in the stomach and spit on his face and spit in his face. And so then finally, Wallace Lowe reversed course and they fired Durkin on Thursday. What a mess. And then the the chairman of the Board of Regents finally got some sense of decency, and he also stepped down. But what this really speaks to is the cesspool 
and how poisoned the well has become when we come when it comes to big time college athletics, particularly football and basketball too. But in this case, we're going to focus on football. And it's this culture now. And listen, this 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 permeates all of America. But it's this culture of winning is win at all costs. It's the only thing that counts. Everything else is deemed a failure. You know, we have to have the GOAT. Who's the GOAT? Is it Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers? Is it LeBron or is it Michael Jordan? And then I guess if you're not the GOAT, then you're garbage. And if you don't win the national championship in college and you go 9-3 and three every year for four years, then you got to get fired like Les Miles at LSU because you can't beat Nick Saban in Alabama. So what good are you? Because he didn't win the national championship. Because that's all that matters. I mean, talk about the, the idea that what college athletics is supposed to be about has been completely lost. Completely. And listen, I'm not naive. I understand that there's a ton of money involved. And that is part of the big problem with this attitude. And look, I get it. I sit there and I watch college football all day on Saturdays sometimes. But can we come back to reality a little bit, please, and gain some perspective? You're going to tell me that if you go play big-time college football, let's say you're one of, the, one of the kids that actually goes to class, and you uh, get an education, you get a degree, and let's say you're one of the guys that maybe doesn't go pro, because most guys don't. I mean, unless you go to a super football factory like Alabama. But by the way, even Alabama, you know, if they send 10 guys to the pros in a year, which is a lot, and they've done it, but that's a lot, there's still 80 other guys on the team. So the percentages are quite low. So let's say for argument's sake, you go to college, you get your degree, you're a starter, you don't make it in the NFL, but you played four years of college ball or three years of college ball, or you're in the program for five or whatever it is it took you to graduate, you get your degree, and you won a bunch of games and you played some big-time college football and you got to go to other states and other cities, and you went to a bowl game a couple of times, and you got to see other cities there and experience that, which is a fun experience, by the way if you travel for a bowl game. That's somehow a failure. That's considered to be, that's not acceptable. I mean, we have completely lost our way here, folks. And listen, I like, I like it when my teams win. Of course, I get it. But, you know, again, this is college sports. I don't care if it's Alabama or Ohio State or Michigan or USC or whatever. Let's get some perspective back, shall we? Let's not hire lunatics who run kids into the ground until they die because winning is all that matters. I mean, college football, this is the same sport that is now paying Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M. I believe he's the third highest paid coach in all of college football. 
just behind Saban, who's the highest paid employee in the state of Alabama, state employee in the state of Alabama, and Urban Meyer at Ohio State. I believe Jimbo Fisher is third, and his total, I don't know if his total contract is more than both of those guys. He may not make more per year, but he might make the most money at the end of the contract. This is Jimbo Fisher that was the head coach at Florida State when 25 kids got arrested, when Jameis Winston was there. When there were reports of kid, guys having BB gun shootouts in parking lots, in housing complexes. When there was a report of a guy punching his girlfriend in the face while she held their child. That Jimbo Fisher. Because that's college football. Because guess what? Texas A&M is in the SEC now. And they have to compete with Nick Saban. And they weren't having Kevin Sumlin because Kevin Sumlin only went 8-4 and four last year. Even though when he took over the program, they were a joke. So no, we will completely bankrupt our whatever morals we pretend to have and go hire Jimbo Fisher. Louisville with Bobby Petrino. Left him once. Went to the Falcons. Lied to the owner there. Went to Arkansas, got caught, got in a car, a motorcycle accident with his mistress on the back who worked for the football team in the administration office, then trying to make her take the fall. And then Louisville welcomed him back with open arms. But guess what? Louisville's having a terrible year this year. So that's, that'll be the final straw. That's their bar. That's the line there. Same, you know, of course, same university had Rick Pitino as their coach. So, look, college football is an absolute mess right now. Major college football. I mean, it's, it's horrifying. And again, it's this culture that begets bad actors like Rick Court and DJ Durkin and Jimbo Fisher, and Urban Meyer. And Kyle Flood before that, when he was at Rutgers trying to get professors to change players' grades. And listen, I understand some of this behavior isn't new. Stuff like that's probably been going on for, for since the beginning of time. But again, I worked for the University of Maryland football team. I never saw behavior like this, ever. Yeah, I saw coaches yell and scream and holler at guys, of course. We also, by the way, knew enough that in the heat of the Maryland summer in August, when it was in about 95 degrees out, to have second of our double session practices at night when it was a little cooler. I guess Durkin and his genius uh, strength and conditioning coach couldn't figure that out either. Now, as far as the fun part of college football, big game of the weekend was LSU-Alabama. I think I said last week or two weeks ago, I mean, look, uh, LSU's a tough place to play. LSU's a pretty good team. It's the same story with LSU. They have no quarterback. You don't have a quarterback, you're not going to beat Alabama. Alabama beat them 29-0. You can't, if you're going to be one-dimensional against Alabama, forget it. 
good luck. And Alabama's offense is probably as good as it's ever been under Nick Saban because Tua Taifagaloa, the quarterback, is really good. And uh, so the game was not much of a game to watch, frankly. Um, You know, again, LSU's a good team. They're very good defense. You know, their best defensive player was benched for the first half because it's idiotic targeting rules. Um, And, uh, you know, look, that that game, even if Alabama lost that game, it would be meaningless because as long as they win the SEC championship, they're going to make the playoff. So that game was obviously more important for LSU than it was for Alabama. But Alabama still won pretty easily. Um, And, uh, look, it it would appear Alabama and Clemson are head and shoulders above everybody else. Right? The rankings, I think, last week were Alabama, Clemson, uh, Michigan, I think, is third, was third. Notre Dame, four. No, LSU was third, even though they had one loss. Michigan was fourth. Um... No, Notre Dame was fourth, Michigan fifth. I forget who was – oh, Georgia sixth and Oklahoma seventh. Georgia, good win on the road at Kentucky. Look, Kentucky's not is not as good as their record was. They were 6-1 and one or 7-1. and one. Again, another same thing. Pretty good defense, not great on offense, Kentucky. They got lucky the week before to win on the last play of the game against a so-so Missouri team. Um, but, look, Georgia got its groove back. They ran the ball great. I'll tell you, uh, Isaiah Holyfield, Evander Holyfield's kid, uh, that he, he, he reminds me of Mark Ingram, the, the, the former Alabama back and now current Saint guy. You know, short, squat, runs hard, runs angry, breaks tackles. Uh, and then you, you pair him with Swift. I mean, very similar to the, the one-two punch they had last year with Michelle and Chubb. Um, you know, look, same thing. Georgia will go as far as Jake Fromm can take him. If he's going to play well, the quarterback, they'll be okay. They can beat anybody. And I understand they lost a bunch of good players on defense to the pros and to graduation, but uh, Georgia's got plenty of athletes. By the way, the right tackle, Isaiah Wilson, from my high school, Poly Prep here in Brooklyn, 355 pounds. I've never seen a guy with feet that, that light in my life at that size. And he's a redshirt freshman, by the way, and he starts. He keeps playing like this, and he stays healthy. He's going to be a top-five pick in the NFL. Book it. Because I guarantee you Georgia flips him to left tackle, either a sophomore or his, or his junior year, because he's got the feet. You can just see it. And once he locks on to you, forget it. It's over. So uh, that kid's going to be a top-five tackle, uh, top-five draft pick in the NFL, as long as he continues to improve and stays healthy at Georgia. That'd be pretty cool. Have a kid from my high school be a top five draft pick in the NFL. Um, so good win for Georgia. And I said after the Georgia loss to uh, LSU, it, you know, of course you want to win that game. It all, it all lines up. It's all there in front of them. They can still get into the playoff. They just won. They won the SEC East. Now they clinched winning that side of the bracket. They're going to play probably Alabama in the SEC championship game. If they win that game, they're going to be in the championship again. And Alabama will be too. Even if Alabama loses that game to Georgia, if Georgia stays undefeated the rest of the year, now they got a tough game coming up this week against Auburn. I mean, Georgia's schedule is tough. But if they win that game, as long as they, if they're, if they're a one-loss team and they win the SEC championship game, Georgia's getting in. Bottom line. 
If Alabama, assuming Alabama doesn't lose to Auburn in the Iron Bowl this year, which you never discount that, you never know. But they could survive that, and then if they win the SEC championship, Alabama is going to be in the in, 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 in the in the uh, in the championship. If they win the SEC championship game, they're going to be in the in the, in the you know the playoff, college football playoff. If Notre Dame goes undefeated, unfortunately, they're going to be in. I, Notre Dame's just not that good. They haven't played anybody. I understand they beat Michigan. Other than that, their schedule has been weak. Now, they play Syracuse this week. That'll be interesting to see. Syracuse having a bit of a, a, a renaissance under Dino Babers, formerly boss, uh, Bowling Green. Syracuse 7-2 and two for the first time in five years. So that'll be interesting. I think that game's at Yankee Stadium. And they still have to play USC, who I know USC's not having a great year. But, you know, they're dangerous. USC's always dangerous. They've got players. They've got athletes there. But Notre Dame's schedule has not been great. I mean, you know, let's Wake Forest, Ball State. Anyway. And then the best game of the weekend was Oklahoma versus Texas Tech. Another crazy, well, there's the, both, both, the two best games of the weekend were Oklahoma versus Texas Tech, 51-46 Oklahoma. And this Kyler Murray, their, their quarterback, who's maybe 5'10", maybe, but throws darts, throws dimes, makes some beautiful throws. And when he runs, he's got an extra gear. He, looks, he literally looks like he gets shot out of a cannon. Little guy, stud baseball player, first-round pick of the A's, probably going to go play pro baseball eventually. Got a big signing bonus to do so. But he's a hell of a college quarterback. I mean, he's not a pro quarterback. He's too little. But he is a hell of a college quarterback and really fun to watch. You know, same thing with Oklahoma. I mean, they already fired the defensive coordinator. If they could ever stop anybody, they'll beat anybody. And there's no way you're going to tell me that Oklahoma couldn't wipe the floor with Notre Dame. They could. And Michigan. And Ohio State. Ohio State, by the way, has not been good this year. They struggled to a win over a bad Nebraska team. So that was a great game, the Oklahoma-Texas Tech game. And then the other one was West Virginia-Texas, where give West Virginia's coach Dana Holgerson credit in a back-and-forth affair uh, at 41-40 with about 12 seconds left. West, uh, no, 20 seconds left, Texas commits the moral sin unless a guy get behind him deep, scores a touchdown on a deep post from about 30 yards out. And rather than kick the extra point and, play, and go to overtime, Dana Holgerson said, screw it, let's go for two. They ran a play. Texas called a timeout. They tried to run another play. Texas called another timeout. And then finally they ran a play, quarterback draw, ran it in. West Virginia won 42-41. Big win for them. Oklahoma, West Virginia, I believe, is this week, is it? Or no, 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 no. That's going to be is that the is that the Thanksgiving weekend? Well, we're going to we're going to find out right now. Let's see here. Just hang tight one second. And how this is what you're giving me. Really? Are you kidding me, ESPN? Worldwide leader indeed. You're giving me the week 10 schedule, huh? 
That's because that's what I want, even though it's way long gone. All right, let's see what we got here. Friday. Saturday. What are we looking for? No, West, no, I believe West Virginia and Oklahoma play Thanksgiving, the Friday after Thanksgiving, if I'm not mistaken. So that will be a very interesting game. You know, I think there's still a path for Oklahoma to get in, maybe for West Virginia to get in also. I mean, again, I understand Oklahoma's defense isn't good. Their offense is the best in the country. And, yes, I understand Michigan plays excellent defense and their offense is better. But you're going to tell me Oklahoma couldn't beat Michigan? They couldn't beat Notre Dame, especially on a neutral field? Of course they could. So could Georgia. So could LSU. But anyway, as we move forward, as we get closer to Thanksgiving, the, the, the picture will start to become a little bit clearer when it comes to the college football playoff. But right now, it's still wide open. Wide open. All right, we'll take a short break. We'll be back with Week 8 in the NFL right after this. All righty, we are back here on another edition of Jamal About Sports, Monday evening QB, November 5th, 2018. So, Week 8, not kind to my Lions. Listen, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on them. Uh, bottom line was, you know, two weeks ago they looked great against Miami. I sat here and I did a show and I raved to you all about this is a Lions team I'd never seen before. They ran the ball well. They were focused off the bye week. No pre-snap penalties. Blah, 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 blah. Then they went out at home against a decent but not great Seattle team and laid an egg. And then they went on the road yesterday after they traded Golden Tate, right? Their best receiver, Matthew Stafford's number one security blanket, And they went to Minnesota yesterday and they embarrassed themselves, particularly on offense. They gave up 10 sacks. Quarterback got hit 17 times total. They ran, couldn't run the ball, couldn't throw the ball, couldn't do a damn thing. Defense gave them two turnovers. They couldn't do anything with it. They were in the red zone twice, settled for field goals both times. It was embarrassing. Mike Zimmer's playing chess while Jim Bob Cooter the Lions offense coordinator is playing checkers completely overmatched not going to say it was all his fault but Stafford again did not play well slow to recognize some stuff but again I can't I'm not laying this at his doorstep you get hit 17 times and sack 10 in a professional game that's not on the quarterback now yeah I understand some of those sacks were covered sacks that also means the receivers aren't getting open. Now, the Golden Tate thing, look, I didn't like it because I'm a fan, and the guy who's a hell of a player for the Lions, probably the best free agent signing they've ever had, if not the best, one of the best, certainly in recent memory. 90 catches every year. Guy played every game, never missed a start. But he's 30. He's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. This is Pats 101, folks. Lions fans out there, you can bitch and moan all you want. But if you're going to give me hashtag in Quinn we trust on Twitter, then shut up because this is what you're going to get. Get ready for more, by the way. This is what the Patriots do. They get rid of guys early, 
rather too early rather than too late. And Tate's 30, and he's going to want a big contract because Jarvis Landry, whom he's much better than, by the way, but because he's a little bit older, or I should say Landry's a little younger than Tate, got a huge contract from the Browns, like six years, $70 million or whatever it was. Lions aren't giving Golden Tate that. What are you, crazy? And let's say Tate wanted three years, $45 million. They weren't giving him that either. And best, guess what? I wouldn't give it to him either. And I love him. I love the guy. Wouldn't give it to him. So they said, rather than lose him for nothing, let's get a third-round pick. Now, the timing is terrible. You go on the road against your, your, one of your biggest division rivals, and then you get smacked around, and you can't do a damn thing on offense. I understand it looks bad. And listen, I've been Bob Quinn's toughest critic. You'd be amazed how many people I see on, on, on Twitter uh, defend every move this guy's made. But in this case, I think he made the right decision. Look, that's, that's what the Patriots have done for 20 years. And he came from the Patriots. So why this would be surprising to anybody is beyond me. They're cold and calculating and heartless. Remember about, I don't know, 20 years ago or so, close to it, maybe it was 2001, when they cut Lawyer Malloy, who had been a fine safety for them, and Tom Jackson on uh, Sunday Countdown sat there and banged the table and said this is a disgrace and it's going to ruin the season. I think the Patriots, what, uh, they made the Super Bowl that year for the first time in the Brady-Belichick era and won it against the Rams, against whom they were big underdogs. I mean, this is what they do. Now, has Bob Quinn earned the right to not be second-guessed? No. He hasn't done a damn thing since he's been here. And then you had, during the week, Matt Patricia taking a playbook out of his former boss, Belichick, and acting like a smug, condescending creep in one of his weekly press conferences by telling one of the reporters who asked the question that Patricia didn't like the question. And to be fair, it was a dumb question. It was, it was why does make, trading Golden Tate make your team better? Why do you think that makes your team better? When Patricia never said it did, and everybody with a brain knows that it doesn't, so he's just trying to be a smart ass. The reporter is. So I get Patricia's annoyed. But you know what? You're the head coach of a football team. Be a man and say... You know, give some non-answer. Oh, we like the players we have. Golden Tate's a great player. We wish him success. That's it. But instead, he got into it with the guy, told the guy to sit up and sit up straight or something. Now, have you seen that, Patricia, lately? Obese Charlie Day with his stupid beard and his hat on backwards and his pencil stuck behind his ear and his trash bag pullover that he wears on the sidelines? And this guy has the nerve, has the temerity to, to, to lecture somebody on decorum and appearance? Are you kidding me? Hey, jackass, how about you win a goddamn game first that means something before you act like your former creep head coach boss, okay? Who gets away with everything because he won five Super Bowls. And everybody thinks it's funny. That, oh, look at Bill. He's so quirky. You don't get to do that when you haven't done it. You don't have, you, hey, Matt Patricia, you don't have a resume. Your resume right now is three and five. You got blown out at home by the Jets. And you got embarrassed yesterday against the Vikings. 
listen, I said this early, and maybe I got fooled into a couple of games uh, after uh, fooled into believing it after a couple of wins. But this thing could get ugly real fast because if this guy's going to be smug and arrogant and bad, not a great combo, folks. Now, he's not going anywhere because he's Quinn's boy. And apparently Quinn's not going anywhere. This is his third year. But remember, Bob Quinn was the one who said last year the reason, one of the reasons they fired Caldwell, 9-7, and seven, not good enough. Which is, a, by the way, a perfectly reasonable stance. But then you're going to bring a guy in, supposed to take a team that's 9-7 and seven to be better. Right now, at 3-5, and five, you'd sign up for 9-7 and seven in a heartbeat if you're a Lions fan, or a Lions player for that matter. So, look, it never ends with this team. It really doesn't. You know, I, 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 you know what? I'm going to predict it right now. In two years, I'm going to be sitting here doing a show trying to talk myself into what GM-coach combination some other organization pawned off on the Lions that were supposedly, you know, just, just waiting to take that next step. I mean, what, it's never worked. I've been a fan for 40 years. They've won one playoff game. Whatever they do never works. They've had the greatest running back in the history of football. Didn't work. It's the one time they won a playoff game. They've had one of, arguably one of the greatest wide receivers in the history of football, Calvin Johnson. Couldn't win a playoff game with him. Matthew Stafford's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL in the last two years, uh, ten, 10 years. Can't win a playoff game. Not him, the team. So, listen. My expectations for the rest of the season are zero. Zero. Are they going to go three and thirteen? They're going to lose out. No, they, there's a couple. There's enough bad teams left on the schedule, like the Bills, that they'll win a game here or there. Maybe they'll get fired up on Thanksgiving against the Bears and maybe show up. You know, but they got to play Carolina. They got to play the Rams. They got to play at Green Bay. I mean, that's three losses right there. <laughs> so, I mean, the, be- the best the Lions are going to do is, is, eight and, is eight and eight. That's the best they're going to do. So, the rest of this season is about developing whatever young talent supposedly exists on the roster. Some of the early returns are okay, like Kerryon Johnson and Deshaun Hand and Kenny Galladay. Jamal Agnew, before he got hurt, unfortunately he's out for the rest of the year. Some of them, not so good. Taylor Decker, embarrassing performance yesterday at left tackle. Jared Davis had one tackle. Middle linebacker for the Lions yesterday had one tackle yesterday. One. One. Tease Tabor, second-round pick from last year. Only cornerback in the league that's allowed a perfect passer rating against him. He's been nothing short of awful. So, very much a mixed bag so far from Bob Quinn as far as his drafts are concerned. So, we'll see. You hope the offensive line maybe mans up. I mean, look, I'll give Graham Glasgow the center, center credit. He said, you know, uh, that was an embarrassing performance. Good for him. Let's try not to get the quarterback killed this week against the Bears, shall we? All right, rest of the NFL from week eight. 
So, best game of the week by far was New Orleans-LA Rams. Uh, you know, close game early. Rams went for the fake field goal. Didn't get it, although it looked really close like he did get it. Didn't get it. Uh, Saints scored three in a row after that. Had a big lead at halftime. Rams came back, made it interesting late, and then the Saints scored late in the game on a long touchdown pass to uh, Michael Thomas, assaulted away 45-35. The other big game of the week was supposed to be the Patriots and the Packers. That game was close for a while, 17-17. Patriots pulled away, 31-17. Packers do not look like a very good team, 3-4-1 now. I mean, Rodgers is great. I get it. Um, But, uh, you know, they've got deficiencies in a lot of places there. Um, But, again, it's early. Actually, the other really interesting game of the week that I was watching were the Chargers and the Seahawks. Now, the Chargers, by the way, are 6-2. They've won five games in a row very quietly. Uh, and they went into Seattle and won. And even in, the, even in the years where Seattle's not that good, that's the hardest place to play in the NFL. And the Chargers went out there and won. And the game was 25-17, and it shouldn't have been that close. The Chargers, I mean, you know, honestly, I feel like with the Lions season over, and I've sort of adopted the Chargers a little bit, for whatever reason, I think I've said this before because I always watch because you know there's only a couple of games on at four o'clock, and I always watch them or at least I, or at least I watch a bunch of their games. And they got a lot of good players on that team, a lot of guys that I, I watched in college that I always liked. And and by the way, they're doing this without Joey Bosa playing defense. I think he's going to be back at some point this year. I mean, I remember distinctly saying last year that the Chargers are going to make a run late and, and end up winning that division. Now they didn't, but again, the Chargers. Bugaboo has been the kicking game. It's unbelievable. It happened to them again. They escaped by the hair of their chinny-chin-chin when the game should have not even been close because their freaking kicker, or I think it's like their third one again this year, because anyone they get is either ineffective or if they get somebody who's actually ever any any good, the guy gets hurt. And so I think they're on their third kicker, right? I think they started out with Roberto Aguayo, who was a second-round pick from the Buccaneers a couple years ago. It was a massive bust. I think he was doing well. Then he got hurt. Then they signed another guy. That guy was bad. Now they brought back Caleb Sturgis, who's never been any good. And he missed two extra points and a 42-yard field goal yesterday in a game that they had to scrape by and win 25-17 because Russell Wilson led the Seahawks on a drive late in that game to get it to 25-17, and they were about the 20-yard line, and he fired one into the end zone on fourth down that a dude on the Chargers barely got a fingertip on and just sort of changed the trajectory of the ball just enough that it, it, it distracted the receiver who was wide open in the back of the end zone. Still hit the guy in the hands. Still probably should have caught it. You give him a little bit of a pass because the ball got tipped. And then you knew, by the way, that if Seattle scored the touchdown there, uh, they would have gone for two, and you knew they would have gotten gotten the two-point conversion. You just know it. And then that game goes to overtime. Seattle's going to win that game. So in a game that the Chargers really dominated the whole game, I mean, Russell Wilson did not do much. I mean, they had 10 points. They, again, they scored their last. They scored a touchdown with about four minutes left, three minutes left, actually, in that game. Not even. Under two minutes left. They scored their second touchdown of the game. Chargers defense was outstanding yesterday. This Derwin James is a stud. Melvin Ingram is a stud. Defensive lineman, outside linebacker, defensive end, whatever you want to call him. Corey Legion's a stud. 
uh, Casey Hayward, really good. Desmond King, the kid out of Iowa, really good. He had a pick six yesterday. Two D-backs. I mean, that, that, that and, and, and Jason Verrett, who might be their best corner, out for the year again, unfortunately. Again, Bo- Bosa hasn't played all year, their best pass rusher. They get him back, forget it. They have Kyle Emanuel, a good player. I mean, that, that's a good defense. And look, on offense, they're dangerous. Rivers still gets it done. Melvin Gordon's one of the best running backs in the league. Keenan Allen's a great receiver nobody ever talks about. Tyrell Williams, a great deep threat. I mean, Chargers are legit. It's a good team. Austin Eckler is a really good change, change of pace third down back. That was a great game yesterday. Bears beat up on the hapless Bills. whoop de damn do Chiefs kept doing their thing. Patrick Mahomes, another ho-hum, 375 yards and three touchdowns. This guy's unbelievable. And my guy, Kareem Hunt, three touchdowns, 91, 91 yards on the ground, 50 yards in the air, three total touchdowns. He continues to kill it. Jets with an absolute stinker down in Miami. Lost 13-6. to Darnold, you know, look, Darnold had a bad game. That It's going to happen. He had four interceptions. He's a rookie quarterback. It's going to happen. You're going to get games like that. Jets don't have a lot of weapons on offense. The offensive line's not very good, starting to catch up to them. They can't run the ball at all anymore now. After Crowell had that big breakout game against the Broncos, they haven't been able to run the ball at all since. Their receivers are pedestrian at best. You know, I understand Robbie Anderson had a nice year last year with the, you know, Josh McCown throwing him some deep balls in garbage time. Whatever. He, he's a one-trick pony. Quincy Noon was a nice, you know, probably third receiver, second receiver at best possession type guy. I mean, they, they, they don't have a ton of weapons. They just don't. Defense played well, played really well yesterday. Defense only gave up six points. Dolphins scored a defensive touchdown. So, you know, and listen, I get it. Jets fans are frustrated. At least you've got a quarterback that's shown you something that you can build around. Now, do I think Todd Bowles has to go? Yes, I do. Jets make way too many, commit way too many dumb penalties, and it's been going on since he's been there. You know, we the 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 the, the clock management issues, the 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 lack of uh, sort of game management doesn't call timeouts at the right time. I mean, these are things he has not improved upon since he's been here. Look, seems like a nice guy, and he's probably a really good defensive coordinator. He just doesn't seem like he's he's cut out to be a head coach. And this is not a small body of work now with Todd Bowles. I mean, the jet the Jets need in the worst way. To find, you know, their uh, Sean McVay. You know, and it's a copycat league, and that's what every team is going to do, except the Lions, by the way. In, in, in a sport that is now dominated by offense, Lions went out and hired a, a defensive head coach. Just, just a defensive head coach whose defense gave up 50 points in the Super Bowl. Just, just, just pointing it out there. <laughs> So, and I guess the hottest team in the, in, in, in the league's got it, other than the Chargers, maybe the Panthers. I mean, obviously, you know, the Saints have been playing great. 
Panthers playing. I mean, it's going to be interesting. Saints, Panthers, late in the year. Those I think they played two out of the last three games. Should be very interesting. Rams are going to be just fine. Look, New Orleans is good. New Orleans won seven games in a row. I mean, after that stinker against Tampa Bay, of all teams, in week one, they've won seven in a row. Rams lost for the first time yesterday. Patriots now, of course, seven and two after a slow start, like they always do. You know, some of these other teams, Steelers seem to have righted the ship, 5-2-1, big win on the road in Baltimore, division rival yesterday. Now talk John Harbaugh's job might be on the hot seat. Interestingly enough, been with Baltimore a long time, won a Super Bowl there. He'll get a job in about two seconds if the Ravens decide to part ways with him at the end of the year if he wants to stay in coaching. Tampa Bay went back to Fitzmagic yesterday. They were down big. They kind of came back a little bit, made a little bit of a game late. Texans held on by the uh, by the skin of their teeth against the Broncos yesterday. They're six and three now. They've won a bunch of games in a row. Haven't done it against terribly good teams. So I mean, right now the best teams in the league are the Saints, the Rams, Chargers, Panthers. Might have to throw the Vikings in there. They looked awfully good yesterday. I understand my team is non-competitive. Chiefs, certainly. I mean, the Vikings didn't do anything really on offense yesterday. They had one big 70-yard play. But, I mean, you know, Cousins had didn't even have 200 yards passing. And after that 70-yard run by Dalvin Cook, the rest of the Vikings' runs went for like 58 yards on 22 carries. Now, I understand if my aunt was, you know, had a beard, she'd be my uncle. I get it. Uh, you can't just throw out a 70-yard run, and it's the Lions lead the league in giving up long runs. I understand that. But I'm not willing to, 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 to anoint the Vikings as up there in the same category as the Saints, who they just lost to the week before and pretty handily at home. I'm not going to put them in the same category with the Rams just yet. I mean, they're 5-3-1 and one now. They're playing better. We shall see. You know my feelings on Kirk Cousins. He's great until you need him. All right, short break. Back right after this. All righty, and we are back here on the Monday Evening QB edition. We've got the football out of the way. Moving on to the NBA. Look, Knicks are 3-7, and seven, and this is what you're going to get with a young team. They had a heartbreaking loss to the Pacers in the middle of the week. Came back with a really nice win on the road in Dallas on Friday night where, you know, it was a coming-out party for Mitchell Robinson, the 20-year-old center that they got in the second round. He completely outplayed DeAndre Jordan, whom I basically said, at worst, he's going to be DeAndre Jordan. Although I think already you can see he's more skilled offensively than DeAndre Jordan ever was. But completely outplayed him, had some highlight spectacular dunks, three blocks, three steals, 13 points, 10 rebounds. He looked phenomenal. The whole team looked young, athletic, spry, running up and down the court. Alonzo Trier, who I talked about in the preseason, 
looked phenomenal, closed the game out. He had a career-high 23 points. I mean, they, the Knicks looked great. Now, I get it. Dallas is not a great team. But, you know, they got Luka Doncic, who a lot of people think might be the best player, one of the top players in this draft. Knicks young guys outplayed him. You know, they got Dennis Smith Jr., whom lots of people thought the Knicks should have taken ahead of Frank Nilakina. Now, he's certainly talented. He's a complete knucklehead. I'm glad the Knicks did not take him. He's a complete knucklehead. Um, so, you know, look, Dallas is a team in transition, too, similar to the Knicks. So my point is you go on the road and you beat a team that's similar to you, young rebuilding team, That to me, that's a good sign. That's a good sign. I thought it was a really good win. The Knicks put them away in the fourth quarter. Now, of course, they followed it up with a total stinker and dud last night against the Wizards, who had started the year one and six, who people thought were supposed to be good. But obviously they started one and six, and they had the worst defense in the league. Now, you know, look, Wizards have talented players, right? John Wall is talented. Bradley Beal is talented. I've been saying this now for two or three years. They are very similar to Portland. Their whole team revolves around that backcourt, just like Lillard and McCollum in Portland, Wall and Beal in Washington. And I said the same thing last year about Toronto when it was DeRozan and Kyle Lowry. Now, Toronto decided to do something about it, and they traded DeRozan to San Antonio and got back Kawhi Leonard, one of the top five players in the league. And by the way, just real quick, watched him play against the Sixers in the middle of the week. This guy, he had a series that was just, I mean, look, I didn't. I obviously knew Kawhi Leonard was great. I don't see him all that much because he played for the Spurs, right, mostly just in the playoffs, and he's obviously been a really good performer. He had the whole weird year last year with the injury. People questioned whether they wanted to play or not. It was very un-Spurs-like, very un-Kawhi Leonard-like. I watched him play against Joel Embiid last week. He got caught in a switch, was defending Joel Embiid, who's one of the best centers in the league, right, a guy who can shoot from outside and has a post game. Steals the ball from 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 Embiid, goes in, takes it in for a dunk. Then plays the passing lane, gets another big steal, takes it in for a dunk. And then just for good measure, when uh, if the when the game was kind of still in doubt, just drilled the three with about four seconds left on the shot clock, with the shot clock winding down. I mean, all in the span of about under uh, about a minute. I mean, the guy is tremendous. The guy is Kawhi Leonard is tremendous. Really, just a phenomenal. Probably. Other than LeBron, the best all-around player in the NBA. And I know everybody loves Durant, and he's great. I get it. And Curry is probably you know one of the more spectacular players in the league. Certainly the most exciting shooter in the league. You want to get pound for pound, most well-rounded player in the league. Other than LeBron, it's Kawhi Leonard. But I digress. So, but meanwhile, that tra- that tra- and that's you know you like to see that that trade seems to be doing wonders for both teams because DeRozan's played great. In San Antonio so far. Now, look, it's early. We're like 10 games into the year. So, you know, not making any, you know, grand declarations just yet. But DeRozan's played great so far for San Antonio. They're off to a decent start at 6-3. and Leonard's playing great for Toronto. By the way, it still looks like it's freed up Kyle Lowry. He's playing best ball of his life so far. Again, I know it's early. (coughs) Toronto looks really good. But getting back to the Knicks, look, this is what you're going to get with them. It's a young team. But I will live with this. They may have something in this Noah Vonley, former lottery pick, who's now still only 23. Hazonia, former lottery pick, who's like 22, 23. Is he great? No. But he can score. And he's got ability. You can see he has ability. Right? Mitchell Robinson, Trier, 
when Kevin Knox comes back. I mean, this draft could be the foundation for this team. I mean, Trier so far has proven, I mean, even last night, he went right toe-to-toe with John Wall. Took him to the hoop a couple times, strong finishes, got in his face, forced a turnover, got up on him on defense. And by the way, last night's game is a perfect example. Why no one on the Wizards can stand John Wall and why every fan for the Wizards can't stand him. Because if he actually was focused and put the effort in on defense every game that like he did last night, that team would be better and he would be a much better player. It is inexcusable. And I said this two years ago, I think, when they lost the Celtics in the playoffs when he couldn't guard Isaiah Thomas, which is a joke. He had seven inches on the guy. And John Wall is one of the quickest guys in the NBA. He's one of the fastest guys with the, balls in, with the ball in his hand. It means that he could play defense if he damn well wanted to, but half the time he never wants to. Last night he decided to play defense, of course. Because after 1-6 and six and the coach finally called them out, apparently they had a two-hour meeting and all they did was watch all their defensive breakdowns and, and lapses. I mean, it's a shame. John Wall is a supremely talented player. But, I mean, look, that team's going nowhere. They needed to break up the Beal-Wall combination. They brought him back for one more year. It's not working. It's working in Toronto. Portland did the same thing. They're still banking on another year of McCollum and, and Lillard. And, look, the West is better. You know, Golden State's just a better team than Portland. And now Utah might be. Denver might be. We'll see. By the way, no, Trier is not really a point guard, right? He, he, he's like a Lou Williams type. Although he's 6'4", 6'5", so he could play two guard. But, you know, the Knicks have Hardaway Jr., who they're trying to make their number one guy, who before last night had played very well in that role, actually. Although he's not much of a defender still. But that's the thing. I mean, even Hardaway's one of their oldest guys. He's like 25. Ennis Cantor's 25. I mean, really, other than Lance Thomas, who should never see the court, by the way, uh, the Knicks are a really young team. So you're going to get this. You're going to get some games where, the, where it all clicks and these guys look great. And you have games last, like last night. But, you know, it's interesting. The Knicks got off to a rough start, cut it to eight at half, got it to within three at the end of the third quarter. I thought for sure, okay, here we go. The Knicks are going to roll here from, rest, from the rest of the game. Got the score tied. And then Fizdale, who you guys know I love. I do love Fizz. But look, he's also finding his way. He's a young coach. It's only his second year. Cantor was bullying the Wizards down low. He scored a bunch of the points to get the Knicks tied. And then Fizdale took him out and brought back Mitchell Robinson in. And then he also took out, um, I think, Trey Burke and brought back Nilakina. Nilakina's really struggled lately. And uh, Knicks' offense went flat, and the Wizards ended up pulling away. So, look... He'll, he'll learn. Fizdale's going to learn, too. Look, you got to give him time. Again, there's a lot. There's actual talent here. He's got to, it's going to take him probably 30 games to figure out what the best combinations are, particularly late in the game. Last, say, six minutes, four minutes, close or with a lead, how to close those games out. And again, without a real true point guard on the roster, because the Knicks don't have one, because Nilkeen is not one, Trey Burke's not one, and Emmanuel Moutier is not one either. Okay. They, 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 Emmanuel Moutier can't shoot Nilakina can't shoot And doesn't penetrate well enough And set up his teammates for easy baskets Late in the game in pressure situations And Trey Burke is really like Again, he's got a point guard body But he's a shooting guard 
So they, they don't have the best guy they have is Trier so far from the guard position because he's a great isolation player. Now, teams are going to already start to figure out how to try to defend that. And it'll be interesting to see if he adjusts. And when he drives the lane, when teams collapse on him, if he's able to find open guys for easy looks, because he should be able to do that. So that bears some watching. But it's going to take Fisdell about 30 games, hopefully only that many, to figure out what the best combinations are. But I mean, look, when the Knicks start now, Vonley at the four, Trier. At, uh, I'm sorry, Mitchell Robinson at center, uh, Damian Dotson, who is not really a small forward, but they start him a small forward, Hardaway, and Nilakina. I mean, at least everybody on the team is 6'5 or, or taller, right? Nilakina does play defense. Vonley is a little too over aggressive on defense. He's getting a lot of cheap fouls early. He'll learn. The guy's a stud athlete. And again, this is a guy who hasn't played a ton yet in the NBA. Robinson already looks like a really good defensive player. And again, he's another guy who's a little over-exuberant at times. He's 20 years old. He didn't even play organized basketball last year. He'll learn. He's already learned a ton. He's grown by leaps and bounds already between Summer League and the first you know, 10 games of the year. So it's an exciting time to be a Knicks fan. The results are not going to be great. I get it. I don't care. That's fine. You just want to see these guys improve. And to me, the true test will be the second half of the year. We'll see if Porzingis comes back. Or even if he doesn't, which I'm fine with, by the way. Let's say the Knicks do the last 20 games of the year, regardless of what their record is. But you'd love to see the Knicks finish the last 20 games of the year, like 12-8, and 14-6, and six, and go in with a little momentum at the end of the year. But meanwhile, I'm all in. I love Fisdale. I love this roster. It's exciting to watch. Yes, you're going to have clunkers last, like last night. You're just going to have to live with it. That's a Knicks fan. All right, that'll do it for tonight's show. As always, thanks for listening. Check us out on SoundCloud, iTunes for the podcast, SoundCloud for the podcast, Jamal About Sports, the website, also the podcast is there. And check out my musings and rantings on Twitter at Jamal About Sport, no S, and also my Facebook page, Jamal About Sports. Enjoy the rest of the week and all the sports. We'll be back next week with another show, as we always do. Until then, peace out.